There we go again. All right. One Sunday, I'm going to make it through both services without messing up my microphone. Good morning, Community Alliance Church. I want to welcome you back as we continue on in our summer series, Selfless Living in a Selfie World. And just to kind of get us all up to speed on where we have been, in this series, we've been using selfies as an analogy to explore the reality that many of us spend most of our time doing exactly what selfies do, and that is focusing our lives on ourselves. And so in this series, we've been looking each week at a different place in Scripture where where God kind of pushes back against the selfie perspective that we live our lives with, and we're looking at different areas of our lives, and he's saying, no, I'm calling you to live a more selfless way of life in these areas. And so today, as we are going to dive into another portion of Scripture to get us started, I want to kind of get things going by telling you a quick story from when I was growing up. And so looking back to when I was a kid, uh, every day we kind of had this routine that that we did when we would get home from somewhere. My mom would usually be driving the car, and she would have us three kids, myself and my two sisters in the car, and our mailbox was at the bottom of our driveway, actually on the other side of the road. So she would pull the car up to the mailbox, and she would roll down her window, and she would drop the mailbox lid. And kind of in unison, all three of us as kids would get whatever angle we could find to peer into the mailbox because every so often there would be something in the mail for us. Now, now we weren't looking for white envelopes in the mail. Those were bills, and those went right to mom and dad. They were boring. What we were looking for were the envelopes that had some color. We wanted to see green. We wanted to see blue. We wanted to see red because those colored envelopes were cards. Now, I wish, you could, wish I could tell you that we wanted to get the cards in the mail, because it was nice to know that our family members were thinking of us. But it's time to be honest. I probably have family that might be listening online. Uh, I admit, we really wanted to get the cards in the mail simply for one reason. They contained money. And so it was awesome. When my mom would pull a card out of the mail and it had my name on it, that meant I was getting something. I would do the shake test on the card real quick. I would rip it open, toss the card in the back seat, And then sit there and look at my new riches. And she would ask me, well, who's it from? And I would have to reach back, grandma. (laughs) Well, what did she say? Happy birthday. And all I wanted to do was go back to thinking about how I was going to use what I had just received. Maybe I'd buy a new Nintendo game. Maybe I would save up to buy a bicycle. Maybe I would just tuck it away in the piggy bag for that next big thing that would come along. And as I look back to myself as a kid, I realized I was living in my own selfie world. You know, seldom did my thoughts ever go to the one who had given me what I had just received in the mail. And almost never did I look over at my sister's and wonder maybe if the giver had given that to me so that I could share a little bit with them. So, so now I'm all grown up, and, and though I need to admit to you that there are times in my life, and maybe there are times in your life, where I can still be like that selfish little kid. I don't, I don't get cards in the mail anymore with money very often. I'm the guy now that gets the white envelopes with the bills in them. But still, as I look around my life, and maybe as you look around your life, There are many, many blessings 
in your life. When you look at the mailbox of your life, maybe you have a lot of colored cards in them. You know, statistics tell us that no matter how our financial situations all compare with one another in this room, as Americans, we are some of the most blessed, richest people in the entire world. And yet, maybe you and I know that I can still just pull out the the phone, push the selfie button, and focus on myself when it comes to the material blessings that have come into my life. And I'm sharing that with you because maybe you can identify with that as well. When you get that card in the mail, when you get that blessing in your life, is your perspective kind of like that little kid? If it has my name on it, it's mine, and what's in it is mine too. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture where Jesus really pushes back against that perspective in our lives. And and, and before we go there, I just got to warn you that there's going to be some uncomfortability as we go through this portion of Scripture. Because Jesus is really going to confront this idea that so permeates our culture that what I receive is mine to keep all the time. And so I know that as I was working through this and trying to prepare for this morning, it was uncomfortable because God began to call call things to my mind that he was saying to me. And so as we push through this today and we look at this, I just want to let you know there's going to be some uncomfortability. And when you feel that, I want you to ask God, could that be him speaking to you and pushing back against the way that our culture just tells us to live our lives? So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, so if you have your Bibles, you can go there with me. If you don't have a Bible, I just want to mention, there's Bibles in front of you in the seat backs. You know what? If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those home with you. It's our gift to you. We would like you to have a Bible, and and also, or you can just follow along. We're going to put the scripture on the screen, but we're in Luke chapter 12 this morning. And one day, Jesus is out teaching a big crowd of people, and the Bible says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he uses a parable to explain what he means by that. And a parable is simply an earthly story that teaches a spiritual principle. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This man in this story is in the farming business, and one season he realizes that he is going to have a crop that far exceeds anything that he's ever realized before. And so he looks at the barns that he has, that he has previously stored his harvests in, and he realizes in verse 
16 or 17, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He actually already had barns that we see to store crops. What he really is saying is, the barns that I have aren't big enough to store the even bigger crop that I just received. He said, the barns that I have that have always stored more than enough, we know that he's a rich man, they're not big enough to store the even more than more than enough that I have in my life now. And as we look at this story this morning, I kind of want to focus in on, on, on the barns of this rich man and, and what they represent in his life. Because when he looked at the barns in his life, they kind of represented the standard for life that he was pursuing. They represented a good life to him. In other words, he was able to look at those barns and say, if I'm just able to fill up my barn, that will be a good life to me. That was his goal, to have a harvest that filled that up. And we know because he was rich that he had been enjoying good harvests all along. His barns in his life kind of represented the standard or how good or how comfortable he wanted his life to be. And as we look at this, I want to ask you to think about your own life and the reality that in all of our own lives, we also have barns. We have a picture or an idea in our minds of how materially or financially good we want our lives to be kind of the life that we're pursuing. We call this our standard of living. In a Merriam-Webster's dictionary, standard of living is defined this way. It's defined as the necessities, comforts, and luxuries enjoyed or aspired to by an individual or group. So in our lives, we have a picture of the necessities, the comforts, and luxuries that we want to enjoy or that we want to aspire to. So this morning, to kind of get our minds around this concept, um, I want to ask you to think of it like this. Archaeology tells us that first century barns probably looked a lot like silos. So in your life, I want you to imagine that you have a barn, maybe like this. Imagine that this is your standard of living in your life. And into your standard of living goes the necessities and the comforts and the luxuries that you really want your life to, to contain. So when you think about it that way, into your barn goes things like the kind of house that you want to live in, like that. Thinking about it, maybe it's the, the kind of food that, that you feel like you want to eat, the restaurants that you can go to. It was Big Mac week this week. That's true. It was, it's like the celebration of the Big Mac, 50 years. Who thought? The vacations that you can go to, the car, the type of car that you want to drive, your vehicles, maybe the clothing that in your standard of living, you feel like that's the kind of clothing that I can afford that I want to live, um, maybe the gadgets and the fun things that you can do, and, and even it would include how much you want to have set up in reserve, like how secure, how much, how much money you want to have saved away in the bank. So as we look at this, <clears throat> Think about in your life, you probably have a barn that kind of encapsulates what you feel like your standard of living should be, the life that you are pursuing. Now, let's talk a little bit about how this works in our selfie world, in our modern American culture. And the first thing that our, our selfie world tells us is to measure the gap 
instead of the grain. Our selfie world measures the gap instead of the grain. And, and, and what that means is, is we are kind of in our culture told to look. The gap between the contents of your life, your possessions, and the ceiling, or kind of the standard of living you, you are pursuing, that is the measure of your contentment. The smaller the gap, the more content your life will be. And maybe in your life, you, you kind of live this way. You, you feel like, look, look I, I still need to get a few more things. I still need to do a little bit more, but if I can reach the ceiling of my barn, if I can achieve the standard of living that I'm pursuing, then that will open up some options for me to kind of look beyond myself and maybe be a little bit more generous in my life. But I'm not there yet because I'm just struggling to get by, but one day maybe I'll reach the, the ceiling of my barn. Because our lives become about what's missing rather than being thankful for what's there. And how, how, as you look at your life, how have you lived for the gap? How, how in your life have, have you said, if I could just close that gap, then I'll be happier? If I could just close that gap, if I can just reach the life that I'm trying to get to, then I'll be able to be a more generous and more giving and I'll have more options to do things. But until then, I'm kind of focusing on what I still need to put in there. Which leads to kind of the question of what does happen in a typical life when we close the gap? What does happen when we reach that ceiling? That's kind of the second thing that our selfie world tells us. It says that reaching the ceiling results in needing a bigger barn. Reaching the ceiling of your current barn results in needing a bigger barn. Our world kind of tells us that, look, Look, when you maximize your current standard of living, that's great. Because now you can enjoy an even bigger, a richer, a happier standard of living. Isn't that what the man in the story did? He has an abundant harvest, which leads him to say in verse 18, Well, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. His previous barn which had been plenty big for a very rich life, suddenly because of the abundance that had come into his life, wasn't big enough anymore. What used to be plenty now was lacking. In your own life, how have you experienced abundance? How have you experienced prosperity? As you look over your life, have you experienced some raises, maybe a, maybe a bonus, maybe an investment that really performed well, or maybe it was just getting some debt paid off, maybe it was an unexpected gift? How have you experienced abundance in your own life? And, and here's the problem, I think, sometimes, is that when we look for blessing or for God's abundance in our life, we look for it in kind of the big splash kind of ways, like this man in this story received it. And all of a sudden, amazing harvest. Something that happens in an instant. Something that comes floating down Main Street on a parade float. But that's really not how I think prosperity works most of the time. In our lives, I think often, God's blessings come in slowly over time. And so we wind up missing it. Because we mistake it just for living life or just pursuing the American dream. 
So, so, so here's what, what happens, I think, as we look at our barns and our lives, and, and, and over time, God blesses us, and we experience some abundance. As you experience God's blessing in your life, and, and as he increases the abundance in your life, what also increases is what you can put into your barn. As you experience prosperity, maybe you can, you can afford some, some nicer clothes. Maybe you can get off the ramen diet and start eating some steak. You can get a, a little bit nicer car. You can upgrade some of your gadgets. Maybe you can go to nicer restaurants. Maybe you can afford a, a bigger house, a better house. Maybe go on some nicer vacations even. And, all right, I know what happens from experience if I put too much on there. Suddenly, everything that you have in your life outgrows your current standard of living. Over time, as God blesses you, you may find that your barn is overflowing with those blessings. So what do we do whenever we realize that what we have is bigger and more than how we live or what we need? I think our culture tells us to do exactly what the man in the story did. We decide that because of what we have in our current barn and its overflow, we'll solve this. We'll just get a bigger barn. And God's blessing in our lives leads us to decide that we're going to increase our standard. We're going to pursue a richer, more content, happier life by just increasing what we need and we want, what we want to live on. But if you think about it, what happens whenever you take everything that used to not fit in your current barn and you put it in your big barn? Well, suddenly you're going to have a gap again. Because what used to be overflow in your life now becomes not enough anymore. You have a new ceiling now. And now there's a new level that you have to reach. And if you can only reach that level, then maybe you'll be able to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And so there's this cycle that continues to repeat itself. And this describes what our culture tells us when it comes to the material things in your life. When you fill up one barn, tear it down, build a bigger one. So, so this morning I want to talk about the alternative. What's the alternative? How do you break the cycle? How do you break the cycle of being owned by what you own and possessed by what you possess? Last year we did a life group here on a book called The Treasure Principle. In that book written by Randy Alcorn, there's, a, there's an excellent quote that I want to share with you this morning that's talking about this very thing, and it's this. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. In other words, God brings blessings into my life and overflows my life with his grace and his goodness not so that I can get a bigger barn and have more and be able to do more, but he does it so that I can use that as an opportunity to be more generous 
to others and to God. The rich man in this story, he missed this. He missed this. He thought that the prosperity and the abundant harvest that came into his life was his. He thought he caused it and it was his to keep. It it reminds me of another story that I heard Pastor Rick Warren tell one time about a man that he knew. And in the story, the man is driving in the car with his young son, and his young son is hungry. And and, and so he takes him through the drive-thru at McDonald's and buys his son some french fries. Hands the son the french fries, they head on down the road, and and all of a sudden the aroma of the McDonald's french fries is filling the car, and the man's like, I just want one french fry. So he reaches over, takes one french fry out of his son's little french fry holder, and instantly the son just goes, Dad, you can't have any. These are my french fries. And in the story, the man immediately had three thoughts. First, he realized his son had forgotten that he was the source of all french fries in his son's life. He would have no french fries if it wasn't for his dad. His dad took him to McDonald's. He ordered the french fries. He paid for the french fries. He gave him the french fries. His son would have a french fry-less existence if it wasn't for dad. Number two, his son forgot that his dad could take away all of his french fries if he wanted to. With one or each, he could take away the french fries that the little boy wouldn't give away himself. Or he could turn the car around and go back to McDonald's and buy him bag after bag of french fries. He was completely in control of the french fries in his son's life. And number three, He really didn't even need his son's french fries. He had plenty of money. He could have gone back and bought himself his own french fries. He was just trying to teach his son to be generous. And God wants us to recognize the same three things about the blessings that are in our lives. He is the source of the blessings in your life. Whatever is in your barn has been placed there because God has been generous to you. Number two, God is in control of the blessings in your life. He could take them away if he wanted to. He could topple your barn. Or he could give you more. And number three, God is so graciously generous to us because he wants us to also be able to be generous to others. The rich man missed this. And I think that we sometimes miss this too. Like him, we can begin to think that we're in charge of the things in our lives. They're ours to keep. We put them there, we can do what we want with them. But Jesus reminds him in verse 20 of this passage that that thinking is wrong. He says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. He said, you can have the illusion that you're in control But whether it's your life or your possessions, when God says to give them up, you will have no choice. Today, God may ask you to give some of what he has given you, but one day he will demand it. Today, God gives us the opportunity to be generous with some of how he has blessed us, but one day he will demand generosity of us with everything he has given us. Jesus finishes the thought 
in the rest of verse 20 when he says, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, someday somebody is going to get everything that we have stored up for ourselves, but that somebody won't be us. That somebody won't be me. This is an unhappy story that Jesus tells. It's a depressing story. And he makes the tie-in in verse 21. He says, this is how it's going to be in your life if you live in such a way that all you focus on is storing up more and more things for yourself. But even as he gives the unhappy ending, he points to a different way to live. He said, you can be rich towards God. He said, many people will choose this way, but there is a life that is rich towards God. There's a life that we can live that recognizes God's generosity in our lives, that recognizes that God has generously given us our french fries, that recognizes that God has generously put blessings into our lives. And there's a life that we can live that recognizes that we can be rich toward him in light of his richness toward us. Maybe the best verse in the Bible to describe this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Bible says, Now he, he is God in this passage, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, God's saying in this passage, you will be blessed. You'll see some overflow at times in your life so that your overflow can flow into the lives of others. God will give you blessings so that you can be a blessing and be a generous person to other people. In other words, he's saying, God enriches you or prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but so he can raise your standard of giving. So let's talk about this idea and how it practically relates to our lives as we, as we finish our time together. Because there's some questions that always come up anytime we talk about this type of a thing. The, the first question, and it, it's a great question. <laughs> what if I can't afford to be generous? You know, when you describe this overflowing life, I don't feel like that's me. The budget's tight, kind of live month to month, trying to just make ends meet. I have a gap in my life, and I'm not making any headway on that. Well, first, I want to say this. I really hope that you can fill my heart when it comes to this message, because this message is not, it's not to lay guilt on you or to manipulate you. My, my sincere hope is that through this word of God that we're looking at today, that, that you'll be inspired and challenged. And, and I hope it inspires you to spend time with God looking at your own life. Not to look at lives around you, what other people can do, but to get with God and kind of have a financial advisor meeting with him and say, Lord, this is, this is where I'm at. Okay, what are you calling me to do? But, but I do want to put one concept out there that in our culture is, is kind of radical, right? Like, our culture doesn't tell us to do this, but it could be that 
God is calling you to be somewhat like this rich man in the story and tear down your barn. But he's not calling you to be, to be building a bigger barn. In fact, could it be that in some way God might be calling you to reduce the size of your barn a little bit? To live just a little bit smaller? Because when you say, okay, I'm going to have a littler barn, I'm not going to pursue as much in my life, then it takes less to fill it up. And overflow will come sooner in your life. And so could it be that, that God, and again, this is the uncomfortable part that I told you about earlier, right? Like this is, this is challenging stuff. But could it be that God's calling you in your life to say, okay, okay, I, I might not be able to be rich and overflowingly generous like this man could have been, but, but what can I do in my life to find some small way to be generous? Could it be, could it be cutting back on drinking coffee from Starbucks and just drinking the coffee at the office instead? Could, could it be, you know, saying, I know my phone is, is eligible for an upgrade now, but I'm going to wait, wait a few months and take the money that I save to be able to be generous? Could it be saying, you know what, we're going we're to go out to dinner one last time this month, and we're going to take that to be generous? Because God doesn't just call us to be generous when our lives are overflowing and, and things are falling out and, and we have all kinds of opportunities. He also calls us to be generous in small ways. And in other places in the Bible, he tells us that big or small, God doesn't measure your generosity in dollars. He measures your generosity through your heart. Second question we get all the time is, well, do, do we have to be generous to the local church or can we be generous in some other way. And, and to answer that one, first I want to say, you can be generous in so many ways in your life. You know, some folks here have incredible abilities. And it's amazing to even, what, like our worship team, people up here doing, playing keyboard and guitar, God's gifted some people in our church with some amazing abilities. We have people in our church with some craftsmanship abilities that, that you probably don't even know who they are, but they come in and they, they work on our building. And they give their abilities back to God and they're generous in that way. There's a lot of ways that you can be generous in your life. Also, there are more places to be generous than just in the local church. And we can and should be generous not just here, but also outside of the walls of our local church to people and other organizations that are doing good in our world. But, but to answer this question, I, I kind of want to just share a little bit about maybe how this has worked out in my own life. And kind of how my view of this has evolved over the years. So, so whenever I was younger, and I, sometime between whenever I had gotten my first full-time job as a youth pastor and my wife and I were getting married, somewhere in that time span, we made the commitment that we were going to give a tithe to the local church. And so I was raised to, to, to understand the Bible to teach that we should give 10% to the church and that if you gave 10%, then God would bless you back, Okay. Well, I was living on an entry-level youth pastor's salary, and I figured any extra help from God is great. So kind of going in that more of a God bless me, I'm obedient type of approach. But, but really, that has changed as, as I've grown and as I've matured. And what has changed it is I began to realize the impact that the local church had in my own life. I began to realize 
the impact that the children's ministries and the youth ministries had and how God had used that local church family to shape the person that, that I am. You know, I, I thought back and I thought of, you know, all the people who had to give so generously to make that happen. From things like pavement, for my parents to park their car when we went to church, to couches to sit on when we had Bible studies, to gas in the church van to go to youth retreats, to liability insurance, because in the 1990s we were still allowed to play tackle football at church and people got hurt all the time. All of that, none of it would have been possible if it weren't for people in those churches generously giving to make the ministries of the local church happen. You know, I think about it, I can still see faces from the people that were in those churches. A lot of them are now in heaven. What those people didn't realize is that week after week, when they were placing their gift in the offering plate, they were changing a young person's life. And I'm looking around this crowd right now, and I see kids that grew up in our church who some of the generosity of the people in this church has provided ministries year after year, and now they're grown-ups, and they're serving even here in our own church as pastors, and, and they're making a difference in their workplaces. And I realized, if it wasn't for that legacy of generosity, myself and others wouldn't be able to be used by God today. So when I realized what had been given for me, I wanted to give for others. And then I became a pastor in a local church. And I began to see firsthand the impact that the local church makes. I got to be in the office when nobody else in the church was around. And I got to see behind the scenes when there were people whose lives were broken. And they would show up in a church office because they knew nowhere else to turn except for the church and have the opportunity to talk to them and walk through some deep waters in their lives with them. I got to watch teenagers who would come to youth group and they would be so insecure and just looking for acceptance. And I got to watch them grow up and to be young adults who were secure in who they were in Christ and were investing in the lives of others. In the local church, I've gotten to watch small groups come around people within the group who are just going through absolute heartbreak and wrap their arms around them and give them the support that only happens in the local church and that only happens through generosity to the local church. So my perspective on, on giving to the local church went from obedience and blessing to humility of what has been given for me and wanting to be able to give that to others. And so I would ask you the same question that I've asked myself. If God is leading you to be a generous person, if he's leading you to, to be more generous in your life, why wouldn't you give to the very body, to the very organism that he has created to meet the needs in the world for him, to change and transform lives, not just here on earth, but also for eternity. The last question I want to bring up today that we get sometimes, there's a number of them, but this is, we'll stop on this one, is, okay, so, so what if, what if, like, I don't really have a handle on things financially? Like, what if things aren't, are kind of messy and, and disorganized? I feel like that's one area that we can really come around you as a church. We have this awesome opportunity coming up this fall called the Financial Peace University. We, we offer it about once a year here at our church. This is an excellent way for people, whether your finances are a hot mess, 
Or if you would just say, I need, just need some help figuring out how to save a little bit more or to get out of some debt. It, it's an excellent opportunity to come around and, and get some biblical and practical advice and guidance on how God wants you not just to theoretically use your finances, but how to, how to really get a handle on it. The, the best part about a, a class like that is that you're going to be with people who are the same place you are. You're on the same journey together, and it's led by people who have been there. I, I say it's like Planet Fitness, like it's a no-judgment zone. So, so if, if that's you and you say, hey, I like, I like what Jesus is saying here, but I just need some help getting there. I need some simple steps to take along the way. Financial peace is, is an amazing opportunity. So, so look for some more information coming in the few weeks in the bulletin or on our website about that. You don't want to miss it. My, my prayer today is, is, as we close, is simply that, that you will experience God's blessing in your life and that you will recognize his blessing in your life. We have an abundantly generous God. His desire, though, in your life is that you will recognize that his blessing is given to you not entirely for you. He fills up your life with his blessings so that you can also be a blessing to others. God prospers us, not just to raise our standard of living, not just so we can tear down barns and build bigger ones. He blesses us so that we can also raise our standard of giving to others and to his kingdom. And so that's my prayer for me, that I will grasp that and that I will live that, and that's my prayer for you. Let me close in prayer and pray for us. God, it's, it's really humbling, actually, whenever I look around my life and I see the blessings that you have given uh, to me. And, and I want to thank you for that. And I thank you for how, blessed, how much you've blessed all of us. Um, Father God, I, I ask that you will allow us to catch your vision and your heart for people and how you give us this amazing role that we can play in a variety of ways. And, and generosity is one whether it's generosity here at Community Alliance Church, whether it's generosity at another local church, or whether it's just generosity in giving to people to help meet their needs, just to show them the love of Jesus Christ, God. I pray that you'll give us a heart for generosity, not, not motivated out of guilt, not motivated out of manipulation, but God, a heart for generosity motivated out of how generous you've been. God, I pray that you will use us as your church to make a difference in our community and our world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you guys for being here. We want to invite you back again next week. Pastor Keith will be wrapping up our summer series, and he will be preaching on living with the end in mind. So hope to see you again next Sunday. Have a wonderful Sunday, and have a wonderful week.